Welcome to the Attack Action Podcast, where we talk about friendship, fun times, and most importantly, flesh and blood. Here are your hosts, Taylor and Isaac. Hello, Attacktioneers and Isaac. What's up, dude? Welcome to 2022. (laughs) The future. That was me transforming because I'm a robot now. And because we're not fucking around anymore. (laughs) 100% because of that. I don't know why I said that. We definitely still are. We're not fucking around anymore. Sorry, I have to adjust my mic now that we're actually recording. Okay. (laughs) That's best done on air. Yeah, totally. Well, this uh, this is how we do it. This is a yeah, pretty pretty standard start to our podcast. Hell welcome, yeah. everyone. Yeah, welcome. So I hope you enjoyed that new intro. Uh, we spent long nights figuring out how to do that. So hopefully it's uh, excellent. Yeah, and the iambic pentameter doesn't go over most of your heads. <laughs> yeah, and the in-between haiku we got in there as well. And uh, if you pair that with the outro, it's a sonnet. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, on today's episode, we're going to kind of talk about um, some gameplay tips and lessons and just things we have picked up in our flesh and blood journey to help you, the listener, jumpstart your conquest in the pro quest. Or Pro Tour? What's coming up first? Pro nice. Quest. Well, Pro Quest rhymes with... You know. Conquest? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hell Great yeah. job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking about this episode in terms of like a a, a bonus addition to our um, you know previous gameplay or deck building episodes where we're going to, yeah, kind of free flow discuss, you know, maybe some of the more intricate um gameplay lessons that we've learned yeah or some like common things we see that still happen or maybe that aren't as talked about um as much between players and and that sort of thing right Uh, but first before we get anywhere we have our uh news segment so do we have anything on the news isaac uh yeah well i don't know if any of you have seen this i don't know if you've heard about this um it's a big deal Brendan Patrick got a haircut. Oh, my God. It's incredible. <laughs> yep. So now uh, he's no longer the blonde falcon of the South that we know him to be. He's uh, just a Joe Schmo now. Just fast and light. Totally. Watch out, everyone. Yeah, slide into his DMs and ask him for selfies, for God, sure. There's been a lot of news lately, but now we don't have time for any of the other stuff with that <laughs> headlining <laughs> our, our podcast. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, So also starting out this new year, we would love to more consistently do a listener mail segment. And we have committed to being better at uh, curating and saving those questions and then answering them. So if you have anything you would like us to discuss at the top of the show, um, go ahead and slide into our DMs or what have you, and uh, shoot us whatever questions you have, and we'd be happy to answer them. Well, since it's the new year, Taylor, I was just wondering, do you have any flesh and blood New Year's resolutions or revelations you'd like to discuss? Wow, 
This is not on the list. <laughs> no, I think you deleted it, but I wanted to talk about it anyway. <laughs> uh, I don't have any, like, I think I would have been clear on other podcasts or uh, reaction steps that we've done about, like, kind of where I want to be for this year in um, Flesh and Blood. But I have some, like, personal resolutions for uh regular lifetime <laughs> oh good i hear about those oh sure yeah so uh since the pandemic and since like uh i started coaching college basketball and back to doing high school stuff now um which shout out to my basketball team we're undefeated at home and we're tied for first place in league right now which is our uh it's our hometown school yeah so totally. good job Big game next week on Thursday. If we win, we're solidly in first place. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, I'm pretty psyched. Um, anyway, I've just been a little bit too busy with other stuff, pandemic, etc. So one of my resolutions for this year is to like spend more time outside, which historically me and you have been pretty avid like campers, rock climbers, you know, backpacking and that sort of thing. In just the last two kind of fair weather seasons, I haven't done a good job of that. So that's my one of my resolutions is to have more adventures outside. Nice. Yeah. What about yeah, you? That's a good one. Do you have any uh, real life or flesh and blood life? I do. I haven't prepared real life ones, but I think my real life resolution is to be just be a bit more focused with my time when I want to be. Right. But sometimes I get a little bit. You know, if I have too many projects with too many sub projects and to do lists, uh, it can be a little bit overwhelming and I won't get quite as much done as I had wished. So just allocating my time and focusing on one thing to accomplish that and kind of having pushing the other stuff out of my mind mm. and being happy with that is yeah. finish stuff rather than start stuff. Yeah. 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 Cool. Like your house. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> We're almost there. <laughs> Um, in flesh and blood, I would like to be, come a better pitch stacker. Oh, nice. I never played chain Yeah. and I, I'm okay at pitch stacking, right? I can, you know, I can pitch a blue wrecker romper and an alpha rampage and a barraging and a blue, but I'm not always sure if they will all show up in the same hand or be split. And, um, or pitching multiple hands together, um, or subsequent hands or, you know, like in Kano drawing the perfect hand and then ha setting up a double blazing. Some of these like plays as the game moves forward are a little bit beyond me, especially like specifically counting my deck and remembering every turn to manage how many cards I use or get rid of or pitch to, uh, you know, maintain the sequence of cards I need. Nice. Um, which is, you know, that's, it's tough. It's a high skill maneuver, and uh, I hope to get better at that. Yeah, totally. I can't remember when I... It was like definitely slightly before I started playing Chain. I started thinking about... <clears throat> I think it was actually in Monarch, which I guess is like... It's like when we started playing Monarch Limited is when I started thinking more heavily about like 
what cards I pitch stack and that sort of thing, you know? Um, especially because of like, you had to go up against like Prism and, and stuff like that. And I guess, yeah, with like limited chain, you still want to pitch stack and that sort of thing. So, and with the with all, all of those classes, you really needed to make sure you kept in like some sort of class threat or whatever. So, yeah, I think that's when I remember being like, I need to just start thinking about this every game I play, even whether or not I get there. And I, I think I actually took the tip from Brendan Patrick, who was like, I think said like at the end of every game, just flip over your deck and look at your, the hands you pitched and see how well you did. You know? Nice. Yeah. So yeah. It's a good habit. That. Yeah. Thanks, Brendan. Um, love the haircut. <laughs> I also had a bit of a revelation. I was thinking about in terms of like, I don't know my mental state for the new year. I was listening to an interview with Tarek Patel right after uh, nationals. And he said something that was really interesting to me. He said that as he was playing his Briar deck in the tournament, I believe he kept getting in trouble because he would play out his last attack action after one more embodiment rather than arsenaling it and increasing the consistency of his next hand by having five cards and guaranteeing he had an attack. Or maybe a non-attack sometimes. And I just picked up that deck a, a little while ago. And um, I mean, to me, that line was like instantly obvious, right? Like, I'm like, no way am I going to swing Rosetta or play this out just for one more embodiment. Shoring up my next hand is like the way to go here, almost no matter what, unless I'm really reading my opponent and they're, you know, there's like some good reason to play out this card. And I, I just bring this up because... Like, Tarek is an extraordinary player, right? I'm not, like, mentioning this to, uh, you know, rag on him or anything. But he's such a good player. And uh, it kind of struck me because I guess that particular line or strategy, you know, was maybe more obvious to me right away than to him. And it, it just got me thinking, like, I guess each of us have our own strengths and weaknesses in this game. And... um it just made me want to think about what are my strengths and weaknesses, right? So like maybe um, identifying that line is a strength of mine. So what are my weaknesses? What ways can I, you know, change my thought process, you know, or processes and uh, get better at this game, you know, through deliberately um, changing my habits, right? Or like identifying in which ways am I like a subpar player, and how can I get better at that rather than just getting reps or learning this character better? You know, are there like certain more broad ways in which I can improve? Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that totally does make sense. And is, uh, I think a salient point and, uh, was well articulated, you know? Thanks. Yeah. I, th I think, uh, one of our big things is we've, uh, changed up uh, a few new members in our testing group not because we like kicked out some people who we thought sucked or whatever <laughs> <laughs> but um we just needed um some people to be a bit more consistent so we could accomplish uh our goals and that sort of thing won't say who in case they don't want to be uh this is all top secret don't yeah, ask yeah, yeah, yeah totally <laughs> um but so Part of that is like 
you know, getting to talk to some new people about the game and different play styles and that sort of thing is, is, um, I think initially been really helpful and been reinvigorating for sure. A small change of scenery that way. Um, and I, and yeah, shout out to our testing group. Y'all are the best. I'm really excited. Always on the, on the discord talking about stuff, which is really just gets me psyched. (laughs) Um, okay. Anyway, uh, we'll get into a lot more, uh, philosophy here pretty soon. Great job, Isaac, as always. We're sitting really far away from each other now, and so it's like, I don't know, it's a different vibe. There you go, Mike Popovich. There's your How's This a Podcast going for the episode. Um, so with the introduction of Everfest coming up, Isaac, what, firstly, are you uh, looking for out of this set? So, of course, there's a number of things. You know, weapons, um Ninja has a lot of cards that are not played, even that came out of Crucible. You know, Azalea could use a number of things. I could go on and on about, you know, many cards. But the one thing that I am looking for most, I think, is another um, maybe go tall card for Wizard, mm-hmm. right? Because I find when you play a go wide strategy or a low null rune, or even if they have some null rune, but you're going wide, there's there's many kind of intricate lines you can play. And when you play a go tall package, there's, I mean, it's a very complex character. There are many ways to attack them, but it seems a bit linear, like you're stir forked or stir voltic or stir ether into something. Um, All kind of involve stir. And it's, you know, one of the only ways to like pump your attacks and really go tall. And, you know, I know there's a couple other tricks or ways, but just some other some other strategy or card or way to combat, you know, null rune for fatigue right, or whatever, um, I think would be make it a bit more interesting than just like try to set up stir forked blazing, remembrance, some of those back that you had to block with and played and then re- like repeat and hope, hope you draw them in the right sequence or whatever. Yeah. So that's my hope. What, what are you mostly looking for out of Everfest? Um, well, there are a few characters that have kind of a lack of depth to their card pool. And it's kind of like, I, I guess it's kind of the the light heroes out of Monarch. Um, I don't really play Prism. And maybe there's a bit more depth to that card pool, but it doesn't really seem like it uh, at face value. But so for something like Bolton, Raiden, the true way to play the character. Um, I think it's just is such a fun deck with a cool weapon and and that sort of thing. But it's just like you kind of got to just build it this one way and do this one thing. And you can kind of feel how like with Beacon of Victory that there's some kind of cool extra combos you can do in there other than just like charge your soul. Do an attack, give it go again, attack with your sword, give it go again, do another (laughs) attack, you know, so that you could have maybe this like aggro combo build or something or something like that. I don't know. Um, But, you know, that's not like a sabers build or whatever. So 
that's just my example for giving some certain characters or some certain forgotten cards kind of a revitalization or just added depth, right? That makes sense. I'm trying to think of another example of something that's like has kind of, I mean, I guess the ta- all of the talented heroes a little bit. I think Ice Lexi has them or just Lexi has maybe the most flexibility in the builds, but like, you know, Oldheim is pretty much Ice Iceheim. What does he look like if he's Earthheim? You know, stuff like that. Just a little bit more depth. Um, but weren't we talking about this where it was like, they're still really good, those characters, you know? Yeah, I guess my thought in that department, because I think you're right, like Bolton seems like a lot of fun, but very linear mm-hmm. to be good with. And then I kind of complain that Ice Lexi feels really linear because you like you have to play quite a lot of ice arrows and ice cards to gain that benefit and they're really there's like only two good ice arrows and some more i guess ice arrows or flexibility would be really nice you know but then i I thought about it a bit more and like to be honest the the flexibility is maybe medium in that deck or there's like several lines of play and some like tricks and shifts you can do so while i would love more talent cards and you know more lines in that department it it does feel like that that particular class is like interesting enough you know i right i would i would rather see yeah maybe bolton get some more cards or you know ninja even or something like that so as as linear as as some of the talented characters feel like levia the lines of play you can find or create with a character kind of make up for its limited card pool sometimes Mm -hmm. but with other characters a bit less yeah so that's that's what i would like to see yeah is just uh an expansion of the uh kind of depth in which we can play characters right yeah because your character i i mean probably the majority of players are very loyal to a certain hero or a certain class and so if you could play those in a multitude of ways um that would be just like best for your player base you know Uh, rather than doing the like well if you like this style of play pick this color type of thing yeah you know what i mean anyway that's all i got let's get into our main topic all right well, first up, we're going to talk about uh, preparation and testing a little bit. Yeah. So sometimes I feel when you're approaching a new season or trying to nail down your your goals and testing, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming to try to think about, okay, how do I beat all of the top decks in the meta, right? So talk to me a little bit about the best way to approach testing. Um, well, you should... So this comes with a caveat, right? So like uh, Everfest is coming out and then you have like two weeks before the first pro quest. So you don't really have a ton of time, right? So if, if you haven't been testing and you're waiting to start once the pro or once the set is released and then do all your testing, then um, you maybe have a little bit less time to break things down into... Um, 
separate parts. So it's like you should try to tackle one specific thing at first rather than trying to be like, I'm just going to try to find the best deck that breaks the whole meta that we currently have, right? That's like a huge task and would be really hard to find a deck that just like in two weeks plays really good into the Guardians and the Rune Blades and could beat Ice Lexi, Lightning Lexi, you know, or whatever you think the uh, kind of top decks are. So um, just setting kind of specific goals and potentially starting with like already a known deck, you know, be like, okay, I'm going to see what cards um, have come in from this set and that I can add to my existing deck to maybe shore up some of my bad matchups. Let's just start there. And then like taking notes, making sure you're getting uh, data from yourself and your opponent um, and that sort of thing. I don't want to talk too much about all of that. Give you a chance to to add in there. Sure. I, I would add, you know, time management or like realistic time awareness or something is pretty important, at least for me. So say you have a month to test for something and your group meets twice a week. But half the time you're on a gauntlet deck. You're not getting to test out your radical new idea. So that's just one round of testing per week for you. So you get in three games. Three times four is 12 rounds total before your event, which sounds like a lot less testing than when you say, I have a month to test, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. So I would try to look at it realistically like that, and then you line up, okay, well, I know I have these two good matchups. This one's pretty good in theory, and this hero isn't highly represented. So we're just going to set out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test into Bravo three matches, see if I can make some tweaks, see how it goes. And then the next week, I mean, of course, this is fluid, right? Depending on how that goes, I may need to test a bit more into Bravo, or then maybe I'm switching to, to Oldheim or whatever, mm -hmm. right? right? But just being aware that even in this scenario of twice a week for a month, it, it might only be like 10 rounds total right? Um, is pretty, I think, uh, I don't know just a pretty good thing to be aware of in terms of like keeping yourself in line. Cause I mean, we've, you know, long time ago, but we've sat down before for like two days straight and been like, okay, well, you know, we'll just get four matches into each hero <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And then it's like, well, actually, wait a minute. If each is an hour long and we're only here for a day and a half, you know, <laughs> yeah. then you like, then you didn't get in half your testing. Yeah. In. yeah. So, um, that, that would be my, my hot take. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And um, yeah, again, I would just like to reiterate like note taking and talking with your opponent after the match is really important. Like, yeah, you know, even if if uh, if you don't have a testing group and it's just at locals, um, just try to have a discussion with the person you played. Like, even if they say, like, I don't know, just try to further be like, oh, well, remember when I came at you with this play or whatever, can you remember like what you were thinking or how that felt or something like that? Um, and just making notes about that thing because you can then reference those or later in the week when you have time to sit down and maybe make some tweaks, you can kind of, um, you know, access that hard drive and be able to uh, more clearly remember what maybe your thoughts were about changes or what went really well, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point because, I mean, an example comes to mind of how the impact of some cards is less easy to read than others. So I always uh, struggled with increase the tension, which does not allow your opponent to play defense reactions from hand to that arrow. But you never see the effect of this card, right? So it costs one to pump an arrow for three, which is a bit expensive. And I would never be able to weigh the impact of that card versus not having it unless I ask my opponent. Yeah. You know, when I played this card twice in this game, was that really impactful? Where did you have a defense reaction? Did it really muck up your turn or did it not really matter much? Right. So, yeah. Great yeah. point. Um, and then this is something I kind of said earlier in which might be obvious, but um, as the hero pool increases, it becomes increasingly harder to pick up new heroes that maybe you're not familiar with. So initially when sets come out, I mean, you you might want to think about trying to just add on to uh, some heroes decks that you're more familiar with, right? Rather than like, for example, I was like really excited about Lexi after Tails came out and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to pick up Ranger now for kind of really the first time and we're going to, we're going to be slanging arrows left and right. But really I was like, oh, but these classes I know how to play, I can explore a bit more. Um, so I think I'm going to do that instead because of just the amount of time it'll take me to like catch up to somebody like Isaac in terms of uh, play. But thankfully I have Isaac as a huge resource and he can like, you know, cut six months off of my, <laughs> my learning curve or, or something, you know, so Totally. And the other way around, like we each bring something to the table. Yeah. Like you're very familiar with Viscerai mm-hmm. and I would be starting from scratch. Yeah. Rune blade math is, or rune chant math is uh, kind of hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. We had some earlier games today and I was like really in the tank on. <laughs> <laughs> if I have one rune chant here and I get two, what does that do? You know? Yeah. Stuff like that. Um. I had another thing I just thought of based on our last episode, because I kind of wanted to clarify this a bit. This was uh, how I explained this last time uh, was kind of bugging me a bit. So um, when we were talking about our separate deck building strategies, right? Mm. Um, uh, how, how do you put it? You describe my my str- strategy as... You're like a, a bit more holistic than I am. Like you do it by feel. And I'm like, I need uh, quantifiable data points to then make my decision. Right. Yeah. And you said I, I like throw a bunch against the wall and see what sticks. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I think, true to a certain degree. But I wanted to clarify that <laughs> because I'm like certainly not endorsing just playing radically until you accidentally find a line. What I'm talking about by exploring new lines is something like like when we were playing earlier today, right? Um, I played one game like pretty tight, just how I would normally play it. And then I played another game. I was on Kano and I mean, there's the classic cards you want to arsenal, right? Like, you know, Cindering Foresight or Snapback or these cards that are like, uh, very good out of arsenal and very easy to play. Right. Right. But then this game, you know, I was like, well, you know, um, shit. Oh, what if I, <laughs> what if I arsenal this reverberate, 
right? The game's winding down. And what if I pay for Storm Striders into Reverberate and then it'll allow me to play something from hand in addition to my top decking? You know, is this a good line to explore? And it turned out that's just one data point. Maybe it'll prove that it is good in the future. But in this particular instance, it it was nice because it allowed me to play a card from hand. But it was kind of a card-hungry play for not amplifying my damage mm-hmm. or really being a core part of my final combo. So I think that, you know, what I learned there is like, you know, even an Aether Flare or a Blazing or a Snapback or a Gaze or something would... uh actually be better in arsenal than that reverberate so i i tried a new line that i had not tried before and i kind of learned something from it but it was still like pretty structured right yeah. like i had an idea of the new line i was exploring while trying to keep the rest of the game fairly tight right so well i think i am like quite a bit looser in testing than you are for sure um well, I would caution you'd still need to stick to a plan. Well, it's like, you know, when you have an initial deck build, you're like, oh, here's this brand new idea, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> then you're just like, just just shotgun this stuff all out there. <laughs> that's what I more mean. Like, gotcha. starting from scratch. Yeah. Gotcha. No, I think that's good. Yeah. But then so for me, just for an example of how we would differ, I'd be like, hmm, interesting. And I would like make a note of that play and try to replicate it again in a you know a different match make oh, it yeah. out of it you which know. is much better because i made yeah. a mental note and may forget yeah <laughs> <laughs> and just try it again and be like hmm it, you know whatever yeah. Inter- interesting <laughs> pretty interesting anyway i do have one final uh point on this topic i would like to say i i find when i'm testing or even just gold fishing um if i come up like, especially say you're just goldfishing and feeling things out. Mm-hmm. If I come up against like a bad hand or a difficult problem to figure out with a bad hand, my brain wants to go, I'm tired. This actually doesn't matter right now. <laughs> I'm just going to shuffle it up and try again. But then I stop and I make myself work out the problem with mm-hmm. this terrible set of cards. Like how much does it block for? Can I still eke out something? And by making myself actually sit there and work it out even though i'm not really interested in this stupid issue (laughs) then sometimes i do like find like okay this is actually like you know a decent line and i like sorted through it and i figured it out i don't Mm -hmm. know if like everybody does that but sometimes i'm just like well that was dumb i hope i don't draw that hand again and then i move on but i i try not to stop and make myself actually look through it yeah i i think I do less gold fishing now, or it depends on the deck, right? Um, just in terms of like kind of an initial, like, oh, here's the 60. What is, what are four cards, uh, four card hands kind of look like, uh, you know, and go through the deck a couple of times. Cause some decks, like, uh, like if you're doing OTK Viscerai, like you really need an opponent across from you to figure out how you're going to like sculpt your hand from turn to turn, right? Definitely. Because it's not always just like, okay, I just have four cards that don't make rune chance. I'm just going to throw those in the bin and draw four new ones. Sometimes it is, but um, it's just best against an opponent. So as flesh, as I become better at flesh and blood, I realize that like the intricacies in which the game is played are really hard to simulate in your brain. 
not having an opponent, you know? Because it's like way different if I were to just be building an engine, right? Like in certain card games, you're just like, oh, cool. Like I, I play down my resource card and then now I have some few more resources. Now I can pay for this many uh, things. And then next turn I can put down another resource card and, you know, et cetera. So uh, th that can, the game doesn't lend itself as well to gold fishing with certain archetypes. Yeah, I agree. You, you definitely don't learn very much from gold fishing. Yeah. I tend to just do it a couple times when I have a new idea and I do it to see ratios and kind of the synergy of how hands will play out. You know, like yeah, how many definitely. hands brick versus how many hands don't. How many hands function if I have to block with X amount of cards or whatever. So just the initial feel I sometimes uh, play out a bit. Right. But, gotcha. Well, you have uh, any other New Year's notes? on uh testing or preparation <laughs> new year's notes uh well i mean also if you don't have a testing group and you're trying to like get better at the game you should try to like get a buddy and start testing and that sort of thing you know oh this is one thing we're we're doing better is like having like a really a bit more comprehensive sideboard guide and play guide to decks so that like even though you potentially um, are not a master at the deck, you could at least like jumpstart your play level up to like 65% efficiency against your opponent. So then that's like a little bit more useful if that's not like your main deck, which seemed obvious that we should have been doing that before, but um, whatever. <laughs> I think before we had less people on less gauntlet decks. Yeah. Total. Totally. And now that we're shifting a bit more, it, uh, it's a bit more pertinent. Definitely. All right, let's move into some kind of gameplay, uh, not tips, but yeah, lessons. Thoughts. Yeah, musings. So the first thing I have here is uh, identifying your opponent's game plan early and adjusting accordingly. Mm -hmm. So like something easy, right, is if they flip over Raiden or if they flip over two sabers. <laughs> you 100% know what they're doing. Yep. Right? So equipment can be a part of that. Um, but then, you know, really making sure you track those, like, early pitches are really important to figure out what your opponent is doing, you know? Did they pitch the red pummel? Uh, did they pitch a blue pummel? Are they only pitching blues for their first couple of turns? Okay, probably just trying to play out all of their aggro cards and kill me before they get to those ones. You know, right? And as soon as this happens, right, you you have several decision points. Right. A, if they're pitching threats, can I kill them before they reach their pitch, or do yeah. I need to pitch to counter or accommodate these threats? Right. Or if they're only pitching blues. Can I survive long enough to pitch stack and have a more threat-dense deck on the second cycle? Yeah, and some of these things, right, like th we just talk about this in general because some decks do not lend themselves to um, potentially the flexibility in game plans that we're talking about. Um, but they could be something like, oh, they're playing control into my aggro deck. Okay, so... I can set up kind of bigger turns to kind of go over the top, right? right? Rather than like, well, we'll just see what happens. 
hopefully I win, you know, stuff like that. And of course, like some game plans are much more linear than others and you still want to do the same thing um, all the time. But uh, just knowing what your opponent potentially is trying to do is way better for you, giving you potentially a chance to win that match um, rather than being like, I think they're doing, you know, just being like, whatever. Yeah. You know, um, whatever is not a great uh, game plan. Yeah. <laughs> or just kind of a great way to explain it. But I think my point has been made. Yeah. A good example of this is, I think, is, you know, when you're playing against Katsu, right? You don't know if it's aggro or control. Mm-hmm. Based on the meta, you can you can guess and you can hedge board, but you don't really know until they start playing. And your your strategy will vary quite a lot. If they're playing aggro katsu, you need to pressure them and try to strip cards, right, and block efficiently, etc. But the opposite is kind of true. If they're playing control, you you can't just throw your threats at them because they're happy to block. And you'll waste all the resources in your deck just getting blocked out. So you need to either uh, block some and apply some pressure, or you need to build bigger turns to go over the top and make them leak damage, which are like, I like the Katsu example because your strategy into each one is like vastly different. And when you approach that hero, you don't know what they're doing. So yeah, because the equipment's you, even the same, basically. Right. I mean, so I you guess need they to could adjust flip on the fly. Breeze Riders, right? Then you're like, oh, control Katsu, right? Or mid range yeah. Katsu, you yeah. know. But even then, you could still have Snapdragons and and be in that uh, archetype. Um, okay, so let's uh, skip. Well, maybe not. Okay, so we also have in here identifying when your opponent is trying to hold on to their hand or they're happy to block. So how would you change your gameplay pattern? Let's say you come up against uh, your opponent that is happy to uh, just like take the damage and you have one card left you can play. I think this happens a lot. So you could get in an extra four damage. Do you do that and forego your arsenal for the extra four life lead? Or do you arsenal that card knowing your opponent is holding on to four cards in an arsenal and hasn't blocked your turn and maybe has taken like 15 damage? Hmm. (laughs) Well, I would say this is a bit um, dependent on the type of a pressure you could apply, right? Like sometimes situations will come up where you can kind of blow your whole hand and end with no arsenal and uh you know end your chain with a command and conquer Mm. right if they are so so you play your first attack vanilla damage five go again whatever and they're just happy to take it and then you play something else out that you know say you play a mob of skies into something and they still take it they just really want to hold these cards to swing back at you then I would say, like, Hamish does, you fool. You don't want to win this game? <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, go ahead. And uh, But then, so, you may you may be faced with an option of, uh, you know, swinging Rosetta and arsenaling Command and Conquer, or pitching it, swing Rosetta, arsenaling something else. Or maybe you can play out your Command and Conquer and have no arsenal. Right. I think in that situation, it's better to 
recognize what your opponent's trying to do and play the command and conquer because then they have to adapt and they can't just hold their hand. Right, or at least lose their arsenal card right. and take six more damage. And if the inverse is also true, right? Like if they just, you know, if you just play out, you know, five go again to start and they just drop two cards instantly, right? You know, they might be trying to hold one of those cards to arsenal or they might be trying to hold two, but it, it seems like they're fairly happy. They didn't like deliberate. They just dumped their cards. So then you can read that, okay, they're happy to get rid of their cards Maybe I'm playing against Dorinthia, and I know she's not very threatening with one or two cards, right? So I'm going to apply some pressure. I'm going to swing my weapon, but I'm going to make sure I'm well set up for next turn, and I'm going to save that arsenal. Right. So your opponent doesn't block. You have one card left. Do you play it, or do you arsenal it? And it's not Command and Conquer. It's just like it. whatever the card is, you use it, either to swing your weapon for four more damage or it does four more damage. So there's a few fact. If you have enough equipment up to stop most crush effects, you know, there's other factors here. But in this scenario, like we talked about earlier with Briar, I mean, I'm going to arsenal that. Right. Because you're just banking damage for next turn, mm-hmm. you know, and increasing the consist- consistency of your next hand. Um, I guess what I'm more talking about is just if you have the ability to apply more pressure to yeah, their hand yeah. versus setting up for next turn. But if it's just four damage or a card in arsenal, I'm just going to save it. It'll be four damage yeah. next time. Yeah. I yeah. think, I think that is also the correct play. I think a lot of times, unless you get them to a threshold that where you can, uh, strip their cards next turn, like they go to three health or something Yeah, with that extra hit, then that maybe is valuable. But if they're still at something like, you know, if they go from 30 to 15 and you uh in in and the difference is between like you know 15 or 19 damage those are basically the same thing because right. you're it's unlikely your four cards are going to be able to strip all of their cards the next turn while taking the damage from their five card hand so arsenaling that card and kind of ensuring that you could maybe play with two or three cards is like way better and you yeah. see that a lot. Like, you know, I would see that in the chain meta a lot. They would do like try to do a little extra damage and not have an arsenal card in yeah, the mirror when it's available. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, no way. I'm going to have an arsenal card more often than you. And we're going to we're going to win this matchup, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And uh, so even if you arsenal that card and have to dump your whole hand blocking their answer, you're still better set up for when you choose to pivot later in the yeah. game. For yeah. sure. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> how about identifying their arsenal? How how do you identify their arsenal? That's the real question. Or can you even identify what's in their arsenal? I think there's pretty good tells, right? Like if, you know, if Bravo arsenals a card and you come at them, you know, with snatch for seven and they block with three cards from hand or some armor and two cards, or say you come at them with a red leg tap or whatever, it's just them foregoing the efficiency of a four block free defense reaction is fairly unlikely, right? It would just be much, much more efficient for them to just use that defense reaction. So if you, if you're, you know, playing red leg tap and they're not, 
blocking with a defense reaction, I would bet they have some sort of combo card or offensive card in their arsenal. Right. Yeah. Uh, how do you identify if it's a defense reaction, though? Oh, gotcha. Um, <laughs> so I would say, like, if they had a chance to, uh, if we use Bravo, for example, it, and it's a tough scenario, like, they uh, hammer swing for six with two floating, one card left in hand. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you know, you know, you block some of it or all of it or whatever, you know, and they choose not to play that last card. Yeah. It still could be the pummel, right? But it very well could also be just a defense reaction and they're baiting you out, you know, or something like that. Yeah, definitely. That's Um, a very good example. Yeah. So just recognizing like, ooh, if that was one more card to punish me with, could it be a defense reaction in this particular matchup that I know that there could be defense reactions? Right. Right. Like, that's weird. They didn't play that card out Yeah, when it would have yeah. punished me. And, and, and maybe instead, they not, just arsenaled. Yeah, yeah. Probably a better example is, like, on some card that has a crush effect with two floating, and they decide yeah. to arsenal it when you've only uh, shown that you're willing to block part of it or something, which is right. kind of a ballsy uh, maneuver anyway, but, um, yeah, but which also leads me into, um, making sure you're trying to think about both sides of the table. So thinking about your opponent's turn and why they would sequence their play, they wait the way that they did can really help you identify what potential cards or threats or non-threats that they have in their hand or how, and, and that can help you um, make a better decision on what you should do with other parts of your turn, you know, or defend with or whatever, you know. Yeah, just help you weigh your exchanges. Like if yeah. you if you attack me with a card and no go again and have three cards in hand, I'm all right. So maybe you had a terrible hand, but odds are you're going to creepers me and then continue on for more. So yeah. I have to think about what if you do that? Yeah. What's that turn look like? Yeah. Then? Or maybe there's a, a razor attack reaction. Snapdragons are up, you know, trying to trying to figure out why they sequenced the way they did is uh, really important. You know, like uh, non-attack action into an attack with a rune chant and it has go again, you know. Do I take the rune chant? Do they sequence it this way by making that rune chant because they have an arcane trigger, like a meet and greet that's going to hit later down in the chain or is the next card or something? If I do use a whole card for that arcane, how much does it punish me if that's not the case or if that is the case or, you know, right. Weighing those things can um, really help you out in identifying why your opponent sequences that. Like when you're in your testing group, I do it all the time. I just like talk the line out like to my opponent like, oh, okay, so you have this, you did these things. So potentially these last two cards could be this. How do I feel about that? Okay, I'm okay with that. If it's that, I don't feel okay about that. Yeah. And I most of the time try to err on assuming the worst because 
if you don't and you're like, well, it's probably not this and they blow you out, it's just like the worst feeling ever. And you can own and you really can't afford those scenarios. Right. You know, if you're trying to still win, which is a tough thing to weigh because sometimes you have to take that little bit of risk to it's like, well, if you blow me out, you win. But if I over block here, I have no chance of winning. So that that's a tough thing to weigh there. But yeah. um, I like that example of the crackle because that kind of ties into another point we have on making your opponent make tough decisions, right? Yeah. Like if you shackle, play crackle, <laughs> um, you're begging the question, are you going to give me a whole card to block this one arcane and turn off the uh, meet and greet I might have? Right. Right. And uh, that's really, really tough on your opponent because they might pitch a blue thinking, okay, I'll have some floating for uh, the next arcane coming in, but maybe that's not your line. Yeah. Maybe you're just fishing for that. And then you, you know, you know, then maybe you play a uh, shadow puppetry command and conquer instead. And they're like, well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so if you're thinking about your opponent's way of sequencing, you can reflect on how you sequence your turn and if you can afford to present a similar turn but in a different way that might make it a little bit tougher on your opponent to identify what you're doing right yeah um, and i'm not saying to do this in lieu of like you know three less points of damage or that sort of thing because that that's three points of damage you just should have probably done instead and that's like strictly better but just starting to think about um the way in which you sequence can if you can you know try to bait your opponent into inefficiencies that aren't there or it could be the exact thing you wanted like maybe you really do want them to like pitch for that arcane which is great because you're like, cool, I have this next attack and then I have this other thing that's going to give this other thing go again. And so I just needed you to just get rid of a card or, uh, you know, lose to this damage. That's called checkmate, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and I think a good example of it is in Lexi, right? Sometimes uh, if you're choosing go again on Voltaire instead of plus one, you're... Um, potential bluff is only costing you one less damage right but then it's making your opponent have to decide whether you're going to go wide or tall right whereas if you just gave your arrow plus one you don't get to bluff the follow-up arrow and you're only one damage more right so then in that situation sometimes it's worth it to uh forego just one damage in order to make your opponent make a tougher decision yeah definitely Man, we're really burning through these. Did you realize that? Oh, are we? Yeah. Good. It's <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so this one I think is one of my big ones, and we're going to talk about armor here for a second. And I feel like so many people have talked about armor or equipment and its importance, and I still see people just throwing them willy-nilly to the wind. Like in one of my rounds of Swiss – in one of the RTNs uh, during the Monarch meta, I was in the chain mirror and it was like turn two. My opponent just gave up the husk because there was like, I think it was probably soul reaping, right? With go again or something and or command and conquer. I can't remember. 
just something where he could efficiently block it and he could just save himself uh, six damage. Command and Conquer might have been pretty good, but um, if it's like Soul Reaping and it's only turn two and there's no Plunder Run or hit effects or anything before that, then it's like not a great target to use one of your best pieces of equipment in that particular matchup you know and it was just because it was efficient he could block all six and keep his life total potentially higher than mine um in the moment right? yeah but as the game went on and i came in with like you know slightly bigger attacks and now your health total is a little lower you really can't afford to take damage now and you have to start giving me cards out of your hand. So now your offensive turns are way more manageable for me. Yeah, right? definitely. I mean, just think of your armor as like part of your life, right? Like I have 40 life, but I really have 50 life, just 10 of it sitting over here. And it's even better because it blocks hit effects. Yeah. But yeah, you see that all the time. Like, you know, a player is trying to hold their hand, right? So like I deal, like I deal you 12 damage and you just take it all trying to hold your hand. And then I come in with another six damage and you're like... Your brain just can't take 18 damage on a turn to hold this hand. So you block with your equipment to mitigate some of that damage and to make yourself feel better. Right. Well, I actually only took 12 this turn because I used equipment to like yeah. dampen some of it. But your equipment is exactly like your health in most situations, right? Um, that's just the worst use of it, just to make yourself feel better about your decision tree. You know, yeah, that's not the time to use your armor. <laughs> yeah, there's much, there's a huge difference between, and and you have to like, you really do have to train yourself. This there's like a big difference between damage and damage that has an effect. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like drawing a card or crush effects, you know, stuff like that. Um, and the later you can save your armor to stop those things, the better chance you have to win the game, right? Because it's just an exchange of at this point when life totals are lower and each point of life matters a bit more than it did previously, I can keep a card to push more damage and you will not be able to because your armor is gone. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. And and this goes into like not just armor, but also knowing what specific purpose each piece of equipment actually serves. Right. Like the an early use of Snapdragon scalers could also cost you the game because yeah. you're doing the like, well, they're holding onto their cards. I'll snap this and deal uh, four more damage. And right. so now there's a bit more of a gap and they still don't block. Now I feel like I'm really ahead, but oh no, here comes like, you know, some big attack with a hit <laughs> effect and uh, I now have to just take this damage also and I don't have my Snapdragon Scalers and my opponent still has all their armor. Now you're like way behind. I'm guilty of wanting to break my snaps too early. <laughs> it's just so fun. <laughs> <laughs> nice it's like i broke it and then i swung a bunch more and stripped even more cards but now i don't have it yeah and i have tempo but we both still have 38 life you know 
yeah it's not not a good play man that could be a whole episode is like what is tempo yeah or momentum maybe maybe it will be (laughs) yeah how to get it how to lose it why you want it (laughs) (laughs) totally um it's definitely the most interesting aspect of this game i think but on the armor point i will um i will point out that certain pieces of armor kind of beg to be used earlier right like blood sheath skeleta or you know your um your boots and warrior or you know bark bone strapping or certain certain um armor that breaks when you use the ability on it and you want that ability available soon you might consider blocking with that to get the armor efficiency before you then break that equipment right that makes sense but you can still use the armor to break a pertinent or block a pertinent hit effect right instead of just vanilla damage just try to hold it and then recognize when is a good opportunity to use it before you're going to because otherwise sometimes you'll be in a position where you're like well god i gotta i gotta break skeleta next turn so i gotta use the armor this turn but you know, I'm just using it kind of inefficiently to block two vanilla damage because I need to break it, which is not the end of the world. But it would have been better to use it two turns ago to stop that hit effect, you know. So keeping that in mind throughout the game, I think, is important. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, sometimes you do win the game when you, like, don't block with that thing and then use it later at an opportune moment. Um, but that's still, like a tiny tiny efficiency that may make the difference in a later game so getting those habits uh earlier is 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 much better and there's always the since we're just talking about armor (laughs) there's always the um you always have to weigh getting the best use of your equipment versus saving it for the end game right like it's it's almost never good to just use it early but also you don't need to save all of it till you have four life left to then like capitalize on it, right? Sometimes it's okay to break some of it when you have 20 life if you like truly seize tempo, stop their turn, and you know, that's probably the moment where you win the game. So I think kind of recognizing, okay, I need to save this for when I need it, but using it when you need it rather than um, just kind of always sticking to the rule of thumb where i just like i have to not use my armor i have to save it for later there's a little bit of a balance there yeah and that kind of dovetails into uh some of our other points but one thing i do want to mention is that sometimes when we get into these um what if scenarios or especially the one isaac just mentioned uh to get to that point it still takes a, a lots of practice lots of reps and um you know, comes with time. You don't just go right into like, oh, I can see, I can see what the next five turns are going to look like if I do this here, right? That just uh, it takes a bit more experience, um, which leads me into what was it going to lead me into? Oh, oh, knowing your win condition, right? So that's nice. what it leads me into. So if you know, okay. These are the things that are left in my deck. They're at this health total. If I use snaps right now for this extra four damage, I'm I have plenty of stuff to keep up the pressure, even if I take their whole 
turn, right, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I can still come out on top after this, even if you use kind of a key piece kind of maybe in the mid game to force your opponent into the late game um, is just you knowing what your win condition is versus that matchup. Yeah. Right. Versus your opponent's win condition. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And sometimes, so sometimes you'll have multiple objectives to your win condition, right? Like some are fairly linear. If you're playing control dash, you're just blocking as efficiently as possible with the exception of when you can get an item out in play mm. and firing your pistol off, yeah. you know, and that can be a brutally efficient win condition. And that's all you're doing almost every game. Yeah. Right. But certain games, um, you know, have a bit more of a complex win condition and, you know, you'll, You'll learn the intricacies of that the more reps you get on that deck. But like, I'll just use Ice Lexi into Briar because I'm like pretty familiar with that matchup. It's still really, it's like a really tough matchup, right? And you have several, there's several components to your win condition of that game, right? Like objective one is to strip some of their cards and work through their armor. Right, but you're you're going to take damage here, but you need to maintain pressure, you're gonna go down on life, and you're gonna work your way through their armor. You know. Uh you do have to block every once in a while. Like if you can't afford this arrow, use it to block their red ball lightning. Um then once their armor is used up, you're gonna set up this pivot turn, right? You're down on life, they have embodiments, you need to apply pressure and work your way up to this turn where like maybe they don't have an arsenal and they have one embodiment okay now i'm going to take 10 more damage and i'm going to gain tempo because now they don't have armor they don't have embodiments or they have one embodiment or whatever they don't have a five card hand they just have a four card hand maybe i'm down 12 or 15 life now but this is where i can seize the moment and win the game mm -hmm. right so you identify and create that tempo turn which can be multiple or that pivot turn which can be multiple turns in a row right like if i'm not set up to do it right now okay i block a bit you know then i i play an arrow with two hit effects for seven i get an arsenal card or maybe i set up a six card hand with a bit of pressure and then the next turn you know yeah. I, I ask them the question well can you do anything and still arsenal no so you're gonna just play out your hand and then not have an arsenal and i'm like well set up and then after that you've pivoted and then you have tempo and they can't get it back and you win but it's like when you go into that matchup it feels like you have no effect on their hand because they just block for a lot they deal way more damage than you and they can just block your hit effects with their armor so you like lose Ha the first half of that game maybe two-thirds of that game almost every time and it's like pretty rough but knowing the steps to your win condition makes you more comfortably to you know i guess make the right calculations or decisions when you're just bleeding damage you know right and so you can make the right decisions anyway when it appears that you're just losing and playing a poor game i guess yeah that's great. I think that's an excellent summation. And not all decks 
have that many steps or whatever but you know i use that as an example to like maybe it's not one win condition maybe it's you know yeah you're i'm trying to do this early trying to do this in the mid part and then at the end of the game if i've done a b i should be set up for c yeah you know that type of thing and i watch you play viscerai against me sometimes and it's kind of scary because you just like bring the pressure it's like three cards threatening 12 damage and you're like god this sucks and then you leak some damage and then you pivot and then you block and start building rune chance and then i'm like even more terrified now <laughs> you know yeah yeah um in the and this also could be like maybe a whole episode too is like identifying or knowing how to pivot and knowing when your opponent wants to pivot uh are kind of really crucial um one of the easiest ways to do it is if you play a character with a bunch of armor you can just kind of you know thin your deck by blocking chip in damage as you go play a mid-range game and then you kind of wind up with like a hand of cards that really has a lot of gas and you still have all your armor and then you can just use all of your armor in one swift go against your opponent to stop whatever's going on as well as you can keep your life total a little bit higher and then swing back with like this rad combo of five cards that you have um you know and and i wonder too like because we've played in like a welcome to wraith arcane rising just crucible meta where that was like kind of the move yeah to do all of the time um if that comes a little bit easier for us than newer players who are like i don't know i'm playing characters that have no armor you know i have the tunic that's what i have (laughs) you know to block with so in those circumstances it's like much harder to uh kind of pivot where you go from kind of being on the defensive and excuse me potentially uh being on the short end of all of the exchanges to then your opponent is now you know on the back foot and you're winning the exchanges um understanding how to do that um also takes some some time and some testing and that sort of thing but uh yeah and there's multiple ways to do it like health as a resource right if you can keep your life total really high until you've set up like uh you know crippling crush into crippling crush into crippling crush you know that's that's the most demoralizing play to be on the other side of (laughs) (laughs) that's like the perfect uh you know that's a really great example of like how to pivot as well you know so in that circumstance you actually might use your armor like super early just to ensure that you're at like 30 health when that happens or something like that you know um yeah, and this pivot turn can, it, or this pivot play can be like many turns, right? Like, it, you know, you might identify, okay, I just need to. Yeah, I think that's a great point that it's not one turn. It also could be five turns. Right. Like, say the, the start is, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to leak three damage to then play a card for four follow up with rosetta for four or five you know because i need to get them from like 18 to 13 before i start the last part of my win condition or you know whatever it may be um and you're really good about thank you (laughs) 
<laughs> about looking good. <laughs> but also about um, weighing, I guess, weighing the need to arsenal a card, right? right. Like calculating my next hand, do I really want to arsenal this card or do I want to play it because it makes this hand X amount better, but then I arsenal this card that is like fine, but not as much a part of my end game condition uh, or is it just better to block with it and wait for the card? I really want to arsenal, you know, and uh, you definitely think about that every turn, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, a really good way to craft, you know, your, your end game plan or to manufacture your pivot turn is like, if I can make it so these two turns play out this way, then turns, you know, whatever seven and eight down the line will be more set up in my favor right to then implement the last part of my plan sorry if that's too abstract but i think uh you know maybe the point in that is just like uh and you maybe learn this a little quickly that not all cards are arsenal cards (laughs) you know (laughs) like they definitely try to tell you which one like if this is played from arsenal you know um, but then there's like another level of that because of uh, what that card does, what that card's role is in your deck in relation to which third of the game you are in, right? Yeah. Or which opponent you're against. Uh, do you have uh, certain pieces of armor or equipment or energy potion or rune chance or whatever out? Um, in that sort of thing. Let us take a short break because I have to tinkle. <laughs> and then we'll be right back with the last few bits of our tips, tricks, and flibbity gyps. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. Nice. All right. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about... So this is... It's difficult to not have tunnel vision in competitive play where you're on the clock. Yeah. So when you're playing casually, let's talk about ways that you can uh, not get tunnel vision or practice not having tunnel vision when there's no clock. So you're better at observing the whole table when you're on the clock. Yeah, so my big thing is I always set my cards down, you know? And yeah, great habit. Yeah, totally. I just put them down, one, two, three, four. There we go. And then, you know, I look over at the equipment, what's relevant over there. Are they running Tunic? Is it? Does it have its third counter on it? Do they have Snapdragons up? Okay, they're running Skullcap, still haven't used it, you know, et cetera. And then just keep them down there as your opponent's turn goes on. Like, okay, they pitched this. They're playing this. Here's the attack. Okay. Don't pick up your cards yet. Talk about how or uh, think about what we just talked about. How, why are they sequencing their turn this way? Think about it and then pick your cards up. It makes it a lot easier for you to be able to think. Because I find a lot personally, I look at my cards and I think about my turn uh, strictly not my opponent's turn, you know? 
And uh, you can tell when your opponent has been doing that, thinking about their turn, when you like play the card and say what it does, right? And then you wait, and then they like look at their cards some more, and then they're like, okay, so you're coming in for blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, right, you weren't like noticing anything on my side of the table as I was playing, which is fine. You can then also notice things that way at that point, but um, just like a yeah little 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 tip little trick well because it's easy when like when you're in a competitive game or you're feeling pressured because of the clock yeah it's easy to just hone in on your your you know your four cards or your next turn Mm -hmm. or the the one attack they're playing out with the hit effect you really don't like right and only consider those and like miss that yeah you know oh well if i you know if i do take this then actually my skull cap will be on so that I can block the the right. follower, you know, whatever yeah. it is yeah. um, and considering the whole table. And so, yeah, that's something you have to do in practice so that when, uh, you know, when it's time for game time, you're able to be aware of the entire setting. Yeah. And it's definitely easier sometimes than other times. Like, you know, as soon as you get tilted, it's hard not to have tunnel vision and to get out of that, you know? Yeah. Um, and then that's like a whole other topic, like how to not get tilted, you know, which also like takes practice. It, it for sure took me a lot of practice to not get tilted because <laughs> once I feel like you get, or at least for me, once I kind of got better at the game and was like, okay, I freaking know what I'm doing now. And then, uh, you know, it just doesn't go your way or you're getting upset that you're losing or whatever then you just start making stupid decisions and stuff you know yeah definitely and uh yeah i mean i still sometimes get tilted as i learned recently um oh yeah yeah (laughs) um but yeah i think that's important also uh that's a good tip is i think it's important like when you're playing a casual game or testing or whatever it is to like if you do get tilted to stop and then make a decision once you've gotten over it. You know, once you're no longer tilted, try to just make a calculated decision, right? Because then there's no clock. You're just trying to learn. Yeah. So I'm tilted right now. I'm pretty annoyed. All right, let's not play this handout until I'm over it. And then I can think yeah. about just the game state. And setting your cards can be, setting your cards down can be part of that too, yeah. right? It's like a calming effect. Okay, I'm upset what's their equipment doing what card did they pitch you know and just say that in your in your mind and that sort of thing um and this kind of goes into like in these casual games right like uh, a classic not a sportsism but the sports model right is that you have way more practices than you do uh games and you always practice how you want to play in those games mm-hmm. you know and so that's like kind of the same thing. Like you can't just expect to gain all of these habits once the bright lights are on. You have to like develop them outside of that. So when the bright lights are on and, you know, they come at you with scar for a scar for 12, <laughs> two draw cards and uh, arcane damage that you don't just freaking lose your mind and, you know be like whatever no blocks you know or something stupid yeah or me i don't know 
You know what I mean? You yeah. don't, you don't make the right decision in that point. You know? Yeah. Because yeah. that's not Instead, your Instead, you come with a plan. Yeah. And you correctly calculate your turn and you make the right decision. Yeah. Not like, oh, God, how, you know, how lucky you got or yeah. whatever. Yeah. This is stupid. Yeah. Because when you're learning like a new skill, um, you once you become under pressure or fatigued, you revert to whatever your habit kind of is. Oh, yeah. That's a great sport. Uh yeah sports science hot tip <laughs> yeah great job <laughs> thanks uh it's like i you know well educated or something <laughs> um so if you if you haven't developed those habits uh beforehand you're just gonna revert to mm-hmm. what you know right like i think most famously well maybe not most famously but f- in my circle <laughs> uh most famously like nba players on draft night or like leading up to the draft, like rookies or whatever, they go and do workouts with um, different NBA teams or whatever. And like the first 30 to 45 minutes of the workout is just to exhaust the player, right? So you do all of this misdirection stuff where it's all just like lots of running. It's all really hard. And then they get into more highly skilled drills or situations or that sort of thing. Because they want to scout you when you're tired and know what your actual habits are. Because, of course, you can do what anybody wants when you're, like, your brain's fresh and you're, like, ready to go, you know? Yeah, but when it's game time and you're exhausted, they want to see how you'll perform. Fourth quarter, two minutes to go. Yep. Et cetera, you know? Okay. We got uh, one more, I think, point here before we get into our signature segments. Sure, and this is a topic that uh, could also take a whole podcast or a lifetime, really. (laughs) um, Let's talk about your ego in the game a little bit. What ego? I don't got an ego. You have an ego. I'm not crying. You're crying. (laughs) I'm not being defensive. (laughs) Yeah, you are. My my ego's not offended. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. My truck is regular sized. not compensating um <clears throat> anyway so well, i'm glad we got that discussion out of the way yeah let's move now, on to our i feel lighter now that i've gotten all that off my chest <laughs> um okay so taking your ego out of the equation right uh talk to me about that isaac <laughs> all right um so this can manifest in a number of ways. Um, since we started with testing in the pod first, I'll, I'll talk about testing. So it's like pretty demoralizing sometimes to get just like walloped, right? But recently in testing, I've like beat the living shit out of people and had the living shit kicked out of me. Yeah. But, you know, you're like playing a matchup where I'm trying this new idea to beat this poor matchup for me or whatever and it didn't work and that's fine i learned that and it like said nothing about me or you know my identity or my opponent or anything right like we're just testing this new idea into this matchup we'll keep doing it till we find something that works or we'll shift to you know a different character or whatever that's like all it is it had nothing to do with you beat me or i beat you and you know we don't really have too much of an issue with this kind of thing, but it's just in the moment, right? Like I, I don't think I ever really take offense or anything, but in the moment after you've just been like 
beat three times straight and your ideas fell flat and didn't work at all and you just like lost a bunch um it can be a little demoralizing even if you're like fine afterwards so you know cheer yeah. up it's fine because what what was it really did you just have like some bad play easily fixable did you have a bad idea for a deck easily fixable yeah does your bad idea for a deck define you no does your play define who you are no way and if you think oh yeah it totally does um then uh it's going to be pretty devastating when you lose you know Mm -hmm. and can you handle that would then be the question you know so just making sure that you like keep yourself in check right like this is just a game and it could be more than a game to you and that's totally fine but your experience or or your actions affect other people's experiences as well right so it's not just about whether you won or lost there's another person who won or lost across the table right yeah that is a very good point and you're still responsible for how you behave towards another human being yeah. at all moments in your life even if you're frustrated <laughs> yeah and it for sure sucks to lose you know yeah. it for sure does especially when you know this game does mean something for to you and how you perform means something to you you know um but yeah keeping in mind that like it probably is the same for the other person right and if you need to like be mad or upset you know you don't need to let your opponent know you're mad or upset right because you don't want to take away from what they just accomplished which was you know beating you yeah and then you can put your ego back into it and be like hey you beat me that's an accomplishment. You know what I mean? <laughs> nice little crisscross. <laughs> yeah, crisscross there. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've had I've had players, you know, really, really uh, tell me how they fucking threw the game away or blew it or how lucky I got or, you know, all these things. Yeah. And, like, it's just, like, a little bit embarrassing. But, um, yeah, I, I personally, I'm, like, pretty self-competitive. So if I kind of, like, blow a high-level game or don't, like, perform how i would have liked to you know it definitely can be um you know a bit disappointing but i think just keeping keeping reasonable expectations for yourself and or like acknowledging like yeah i i played poorly there and i fucked that up but it's like you're kind of i or and i'm just speaking for myself this is different yeah. for everybody yeah. but um i mean you kind of have a choice right like you can either be uh all pissed off and like blame a lot of exterior factors or like be mad at the world or just like whatever or you can you know identify what happened improve your play and you know come back at it again a different time it's like really your choice whether you're um you know bitter and upset or you're just you know a bit disappointed and choose to learn and you know move on yeah uh definitely i and i uh as a extremely competitive person with myself and with others, you know, like um, me and you, Isaac, play a ton of games. And I and 
you have beat me hundreds of times and I still hate it. (laughs) I still hate losing to you, you know, Uh, but I've gotten better at being okay with that, you know, and I'm sure we know each other so well. You can like tell when I'm like bummed you beat me, you know, or whatever, you know, and vice versa. Yeah. You've also beat me hundreds of times. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I try not to like let that affect our matches uh, post game and that sort of thing. But, uh, this is another sports analogy. So <clears throat> as I, I had this revelation like part way. New year revelation, <laughs> new year's resolution, revelation. No. What? Never mind. <laughs> I was trying to tie it all together. Totally. Not, but those are resolutions, happen. not revelations. Oh, we were doing both. Oh, okay. Remember? Oh shit. Okay. Well, I can't. All right. What's your ago. what's your revelation? <laughs> so there was a part way part way through my like mid twenties as I was playing basketball, I was like, I'm gonna like one day get older <laughs> and I won't be able to just like sprint up and down the court and like, you know, score as well as I do at the rim. Um so I am gonna have to like continue to provide value if I wanna play this as I get older by like becoming really good at shooting from the outside because then I like risk no chance of blowing out my knee, (laughs) like trying to do a layup when I shouldn't be doing that because I'm like getting too old. Right. And so I started like really practicing like outside shooting way, way more. And that gets like pretty frustrating at some point because you'll like go on streaks where you just like miss a lot or you're like not very good or whatever. But what I started turning all of that into is just like missed shots wind up being just data points, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, I I didn't have my feet set, uh, ball was short, uh, move a little bit quicker so the ball has like a little bit more distance on it, et cetera, right? They're all just like data points. Next one's going in. And so I think you can use that in flesh and blood as well, like, There is the only thing that's going to go for you to not be able to play this is if you become like too elderly and senile, which hopefully for many of us is like a long time away. So you have plenty of time to improve at this game. So each loss is just another data point right on your way to uh, mastery. And so I try to keep that in my mind as well. Right. Is that like... uh, that's a good point to keep yeah. a kind of a macro perspective. Yeah. When like this game is really important to me right now, but it's also just part of my training or my my yeah. journey. It's like step 100 on 5000. Right. You know, I have 400 4900 more steps to go till you know, my brain withers away and I no longer know where or who I am. So, <laughs> that's totally fine. Uh, I hope to uh, pass away before I reach that point. <laughs> right. Also, I hope I definitely play more than 5,000 games. Yeah. You know, I would come up a little bit too fast at the pace I'm going. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's just like it's not it's not easy to like manage your ego. And this isn't necessarily gameplay related. But I guess that we just like had this point because it's like life becomes a lot easier you know, if you kind of reasonably try to, like, if you begin to make the effort to, you know, 
uh, God, I don't know how to phrase this. Just be, you know, aware of and in touch with your ego and your behavior and shortcomings and, um, you know, thought processes. It's just like, instead of being in bitter, staunch denial, if you just like try to make the effort to take some of these steps, um, it just makes for a much happier life yeah. while playing a, you know, a game or wherever your, you know, competitive side comes out. We call that a staunch response. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I to tie that all up, like your self worth is not defined by your play. Yeah. And your winning or losing. Your self worth is defined by how well you treat the other people you're around. So like the TOs, the people on your left and right during Swiss, your opponent your friends you came with, your testing mates, etc. right? That's how your self-worth is like for sure defined. Yeah. Not if you win the pro quest or not. Yeah. You know? And it can be also, you know, how well you learn from situations. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah definitely. All right. Sweet. Nailed it. Slayed Perfect. it. Perfect. Well, we're very good at these kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, a yeah. little ego. Totally. Nobody, <laughs> nobody can tell me otherwise. My truck is a regular size. It's regular. It's not too large. Compensating for stuff. I don't even have a truck. No, that's true. Not true. I do have one. Okay. Uh, thank you all for coming to this episode. We have our signature segments. First up is Riddle Me This with Isaac, where he talks about some card. He just has no idea about anything about it. <laughs> what is this card <laughs> yeah totally um, this episode's riddle me this is i've been doing a lot of kano stuff lately so sorry to all of the you know um data doll fans out there but um, yeah come on bro we'll we'll work our way around anyway by this episode's riddle me this is rousing aether right so this card makes um the next wizard attack this turn deal one additional damage and it just seems like at face value this card is not as good as you know aether spindle was it cost cost two cost two swings for four and then the next card you play deals an additional damage mm. mm-hmm so just at face value, it's like Voltic Bolt is just better because it does the same thing on its own, you know, without having to play another card. And Spindle does something on its own, just a way better effect. I mean, there's scenarios I can think of where using Rousing Aether is good, right? Like you play Rousing and then you play Aether Flare and that would be better to have one tacked on than just the one on Rousing. And then you play Blazing or something, but that's just like too much you know, in practice, I guess I was just trying to think, sorry, this is a bit rambly. I was just trying to think of a real world case scenario where this card, the effect of this card is like consistently beneficial. Like it's worth running it to pull this off. And I just don't, don't know. So that's my riddle me this. Cool. Do you have any input to rousing Aether or is it just... Is it just design space that hasn't seen the light of day yet? I think so. Yeah. There's like uh, tons of those cards yeah. in the game right now for like every class. 
unifying decree. Right. Right? Attack reaction nobody does anything with, and it's a majestic. You Is know? it? Yeah. It's a majestic? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Hmm. So there's, you know, hopefully with Everfest, um, something happens. I also want to put out this caveat that Whatever you believe is going to happen in Everfest, LSS is not going to have that happen. <laughs> okay? So just yeah, curb your expectations now. They're like 100% in that department. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. surprising us. Yeah. <laughs> if we look back at the data, and if you've kept track of what your thoughts were about how stuff was going to happen, it has not happened that way at all. And I don't know of anybody who was like, called it. You yeah. Know? Did not happen. Uh, yeah, it's never happened. So it's just yes. all I'll stay good hot tip. Stay chill. Yeah. Stay chill. All right. Our uh next segment coming up is Taylor's pick pass prey. All right. So draft scenario. I'm gonna give you three cards. One you're gonna pick, another you're gonna pass, and the third one you're gonna pray comes back around. We should do this on YouTube also because Isaac's dance moves are incredible. Okay. Well, it's just the rhythm. Of- <laughs> bam, bam, bam. First card up, Ragamuffin's Hat. A generic head equipment, blocks for nothing, has a cool dude with a fun hat and smoking a pipe at potentially Everfest. And it reads, instant, destroy Ragamuffin's Hat. Draw a card. Then put a card from your hand on the top or bottom of your deck. Activate this ability only if you have one card in hand. Our second card. Cold Wave is a elemental ranger action arrow attack. (laughs) It's the red pitch, so it makes one resource, costs one, defends for three, attacks for five, and it has ice fusion... If Cold Wave was fused, cards and activated abilities cost opposing heroes an additional resource this turn. Also, very cool ice bow art. Third card, Frost Fang is an ice action attack. Yellow, pitches for two, costs two, defends for two, but attacks for four. If Frost Fang hits a hero... They discard a card unless they pay two resources. Also, gigantic ice wolf with antlers of ice. Freaking cool. All right, Isaac, which one are you going to pick, pass, and pray comes back around? Boy, this is a tough one. (laughs) I'm going to pick Frostfang. Yellow. Uh... Don't love it because if you use it to fuse and then arsenal it with Lexi, then you're like stuck with that and like you have to play it out with no go again and don't get to fire an arrow that turn. So that's pretty tough. Um, but on that on said turn, you would give them a frostbite and then threaten a card strip with a breakpoint, which is pretty good, I guess. Not really the you know the strategy I tend to go with Lexi, but. Also, in Oldheim, it's just not that great. It doesn't pitch. <laughs> just listen to the reason it's, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you're picking it. Yeah. 
but it is an ice card. It is a an attack with a break point. You know, I'll take it. And then I'm going to pray that Cold Wave comes back around. This card does next to nothing. In, uh, <laughs> I mean it. You know, it does. Um, you know, counter Old Times reaction, right, or whatever, because it it would cost them two cards to like deny you an arsenal yeah, or to block so it, it's not it's not terrible but it's just not a great arrow but it is a red arrow and uh it synergizes to some degree with frost fang just being both in the ice realm and uh maybe you're constructing your lexi deck and you know you just could use another red arrow ragamuffin's hat i'm gonna pass on i think it it can have value in fixing your arsenal once per game or, you know, you don't want to arsenal this card. So fishing for a new one. However, it takes the armor slot of a headpiece you want instead. So I would much rather have honing hood or plume of evergrowth there, which is what has stopped me from grabbing it. You know, if this was like the foot slot, I would take that. But <laughs> yeah. All right. What's your take on these cards? Oh, gosh. I don't even know. You know, I, I chose these because I was like, this is going to be really interesting. But it's just kind of really painful. <laughs> um, As illustrated by my ineloquent <laughs> slog through the decision process. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, okay. So I think, God, I kind of want to pick Ragamuffin's hat first. Sick. Just because I, if I'm going to pick a red arrow first pick, I would rather it be a better one than Cold Wave, you know? And then Frostfang just really, I mean, it's okay, right? It's like just okay. At least it's yellow, so you can pitch it for stuff and comes in at a break point later. But two for four is pretty rough. Yep. And there's like a <laughs> there's like a scenario where you can like pick cold wave and you know maybe there's no more red arrows in the pack so they're like whoa this pack has no red arrows there's no lexi so in like hoping to cut your opponent off from lexi and then in pack 2 they like pass you all the good lexi cards right that nice. could be a yeah, strategy. Yeah, good point. Um but then maybe like as the packs go on, you have to keep picking red arrows. So I'm going to pick Ragamuffin's hat because it is non-committal and I can just pick a better headpiece if I get one later anyway. So it keeps me open and I can read some more signals and see if Ice and Lexi is really open since these are two cards that are like not that bad um, that are left in here. So I'm going to kind of pray that Cold Wave comes around. Because then maybe I'll get some like Lexi signals that way. And I'm just going to pass on Yellow Frostfang because it just is not like a card I really need in any deck I would really want to play. And Ragamuffin's Hat has like uses sometimes, you know, and like upgrading your Arsenal card, which can be like pretty useful in the format when tempo and momentum is like kind of everything. So that's my choice. Pick nice. ragamuffins, pray for cold wave, pass on frostfang. 
I think you are correct. I like your choices. <laughs> I think you say that every time. <laughs> well, I do think that rag, because you may not have a headpiece that comes around and ragamuffins is better than having nothing. Whereas the other cards are not that great. So, yeah. Nice and way like, to work through that. And replaceable, right? You could have a better ice card with a hit effect and you could have a better red arrow. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Nice. That's what I'm going with. All right. Uh, final segment is board, board game. game from the closet. <laughs> oh, we're not saying it together. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so here at the Attack Action Podcast, we play a lot of board games um, in addition to Flesh and Blood. We enjoy very many of them, and sometimes we like to share one with you. This uh, is not the best board game in the world. It may not be our favorite, but it's one we think you may enjoy. And... This episode's, I always want to say this week's, <laughs> we yeah. don't make a weekly podcast. Totally. This who, episode's... Who has time for that? <laughs> <laughs> this episode's board game from the closet is Nefotafel. <laughs> Woo! Nailed it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, which is uh, some people call Viking Chess. Now, a good friend of ours, through this game... Um, home made us some of these boards and sent them to us for Christmas, which is really cool in of itself. But I've now played a few games of uh, Viking chess, and I find it really intriguing. It's like there's a defensive, it's like asymmetrical chess. There's a defensive side that starts in the middle of the board with a king and all of his guards, and he's trying to escape to one of the corners. And the other side is like four, I don't know, regiments of uh, soldiers surrounding them, and they're trying to trap the king and not let him break out and escape. And uh, it's the kind of game where on my turn, I try to start thinking about all the potential plays and all of the um, you know trees that they open up, like all of the potential plays off of each potential play, and then my brain can't hold all of that in one thought, and I kind of like give up and go with my gut feeling based on where I got in that thought process. Um, but I've found it really intriguing. It it gives me a lot to think about while I while I play it, and I think the asymmetrical aspect is like very very interesting. Nice. So there yeah. you go, Viking chess. If you like. I don't know. I kind of think if you like chess, you'll like this game. I very much like chess. And I like Viking chess now. <laughs> so thanks, Mike. Yeah. Shout out to Mike. Thor Mike. A.K.A. Radiant Mike. <laughs> A.K.A. Newly Married Mike. A.K.A. The Mike in Our Hearts. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> well, that's pretty much our show. Um, I do want to kind of update everyone on our uh, media empire schedule. Uh, perhaps should have done this at the beginning of the episode, but whatever. Who cares? We're, he we're here now and we're doing it. So you got this episode coming out here at the beginning of January. Happy New Year. And then kind of later in January, we're going to have another episode where we're going to talk about the results from uh, the last countries to have nationals. Assuming those are still going to happen. So New Zealand, Australia, and I think there's one more country. Uh, I can't remember. Maybe Malaysia. I'm unsure. I'm unsure. Yeah. But we will be having a podcast detailing those metas 
and how that potentially is going to affect the pro quests coming up. Then we, on the 28th of January, have our very first spoiler. Spoiler! Woo! We don't know what it is yet. We should find out uh, very soon. And so we will have a very fun... We have some great initial ideas on the board for what we're going to do for our video. So it will be up on YouTube, our spoiler. um, And that will be a part of the LSS schedule. So you can look forward to that. Um, And then after that, we're going to have our month's reaction step to whatever the current spoiled cards are. And then that will take care of uh, January. So we're really going to blast you at the end of the month. So make room in your schedule. <laughs> yeah. Look forward to that blasting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you You're know, welcome. You, you know you love getting <laughs> blasted by us. Um, and then in February, right, the release happens. So and then Pro Tour, ProQuest start. And so we'll be podcasting all about all that fun stuff. Yep. Yeah. It's a very exciting time. So. Yeah. Yep. Once again, we're very sorry for pushing you back out again. James White will try to get <laughs> to you maybe in April. Yeah. Totally. Or bad. Yeah. Yeah. James, if a lot uh, going on, yeah, go ahead. Uh, send me a link to your calendar and uh, we'll, you know, we'll try to see if we can coordinate something. I appreciate you reaching out to us all the time. Mr. <laughs> White, Mr. James White. <laughs> and I uh, appreciate that you listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and then we appreciate you, the audience, for listening. Really, really appreciate it. That's our show. Enjoy this new outro. Remember, if you combine it with the intro, it makes a sonnet. Look for the secret haikus. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, Taylor. <laughs> Thank Goodbye. you, Isaac. Hey, thanks. All right. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the attack action podcast on twitter we are at battle bro taylor and at battle bro isaac shoot us an email the attack action podcast at gmail.com if you would like to support us like and subscribe shop for singles using our affiliate link or support our patreon for as little as four dollars per month